Brilliant. Good. <coughs> I'm just going to pray. Father, I thank you that you've already met with us this morning, and we're expectant for you to speak even more. Lord, that as we look at your word with hearts that are open to receive from you, that you would speak clearly, but Lord, that we would hear. We know that you always speak clearly, but that we would hear clearly. Uh, Lord, with hearts with expectation, hearts that are willing to move as you've called us to move for your glory and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Wonderful. Well, it's good to have you with us. Um, I'm going to carry on from what we did last week. Last week, we remember, we looked at um, Numbers chapter 14, verse 24, where it spoke about um, Caleb, where, where God speaks of Caleb, that, and he says of him that he was a servant, he was his, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, went to and his descendants will inherit it. So remember last week we looked at that with, um, about cultivating a different spirit, that Kate, what that meant, uh, looking at Caleb who was someone with a different spirit, uh, one who grew stronger as he grew older, one with courage, full of faith, obedient to God, um, and trusting God. And remember we looked at the three things of being in the word of God, being in his presence and walking with him, and, and the sense of worship. And this morning I want to focus on the second part of that scripture, which is what it means to follow him wholeheartedly. And kind of follows on straight from the word, the, the, the term in worship as well. But just with a sense of, because uh, we've just been singing, God, with total abandonment, total, uh, expect, all my expectation is on you and all of those things. And as we look at what it means <clears throat> to follow him wholeheartedly, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> we'll get there. It comes not just, it's not for the sake of us just to do that and have this, this um, wonderful time with God, but it's, it transforms us so that we can walk in the fullness of what God's called us to, and not only personally, but also outworked in outreach, outworked in reaching others for the sake of his kingdom and uh, beyond ourselves into, the, into that which God has called us. And if you read that scripture in, Ma- in, in, in Numbers, it says that because he has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him out of or I'll bring him into what the, the land that he went to. So they've already come out of, because God's already brought them out of, thanks, Fon, already brought, us, uh, brought them out of Egypt. But he says, because he follows me wholeheartedly and has a different spirit, I will bring him into the land that I promised, him and his descendants. And so it goes way beyond just Caleb, but the descendants beyond him, as well as the nation of Israel, is beyond just that generation. But there's that, fa- that key thing of, I will bring him into God will bring him into. And it's the same with us, that God hasn't just saved us from our sin and taken us from where we are, because that whole picture, the the whole account of the nation of Israel coming out of Egypt through the Red Sea and into the Promised Land is a parallel to our journey from, from sin and not knowing God through salvation, the waters of baptism, into that place of living in the kingdom of God. And so it's a parallel for us to see that journey of salvation. If you do all of those, um, if you study that whole journey and everything else, it, it, it paints an incredible picture for us as to how we come from not knowing God to from a place of being lost into a place of being re- uh, reconciled to him. But just as God spoke to them and said, I will bring you into, the same is true for us, that God brings us not only out of, but also into the things he has for us. 
And part of that is always outworked in outreach, in reaching the lost for him, reaching the other. So they walked into the promised land, but it actually also required them to work with God to take possession of it. Which means that we need to follow him wholeheartedly and we'll see how that works out because it's so important that we put him first in everything. And so what does it mean? Well, we, we look at the word wholeheartedly. It's translated roughly to follow fully. To follow fully. So because he has a different spirit and follows me fully. So for you and I, that same question is, do we follow God fully? Uh, the root word is to fill. And that same uh, root word is used in the expression in the Old Testament in the consecration of the priests. So that they were set apart, they were filled in order to serve. And in other words, the Old Testament priests, their entire lives were set apart and filled by God with the Holy Spirit to serve Him. Their entire lives. And when we look at that in context for us, we are, as the, the Bible says, a royal priesthood. And so there is no longer an Old Testament Levitical priesthood. We are all priests. And that same principle should apply to us, that we are set apart, filled for complete service in our entirety of our lives. And so when we look at what it means to be wholehearted, to fill fully, uh, follow fully, to fill, to be filled, to set apart, it's also, when we look at it, it also means to overflow which is to do anything in abundance without holding back. To do anything in abundance without holding back. And that, and here's the crux of this, that doesn't stipulate what it is that you do. And there's the point. There comes a choice. We either do anything in abundance without holding back for God or not. And the choice is ours. For good or for evil. We have the choice. But the point is that actually it's nothing held back. Nothing, doing everything or anything in obedience without holding back to fully follow God or not. There's no place, really, for a possibly maybe Christian. Or a possibly maybe following God a fence-sitter, someone who doesn't really go here, doesn't really go there, or, 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 or one day do this, and then suddenly there's guilt, so they then suddenly swing to that side. And then they, that, that's not how we to live. In actual fact, when you read in Revelation, it's quite scary when God speaks to the seven churches, and one of them, he says, I wish you were either hot or cold, but you're lukewarm, so I, I vomit you out. That's the word. It's not spit you out. It's actually I vomit you out, which is an involuntary thing. You don't try and vomit. I don't know why anyone would want to, but it's an in, and you can't contain it. If you need to throw up because something inside you needs to come out, it is an involuntary expulsion of that. And that's the term that God uses in Revelation, speaking of the church that was lukewarm. It is so foreign that it is in an involuntary, almost outworking of... Ugh. So for us, when we to follow God wholeheartedly, it's total abandonment of everything. Let's put it another way, slightly not so graphic. Scripture often speaks about us and our relationship with God paralleled through the picture of marriage. 
Now, can I ask you a question? Can you be kind of, sort of married? Can you be half married? You're either married or you're not. There's no way about that. And that's the picture of us following God. It's not, well, I'm half, half following God and I'm half not. If we see that picture in parallel with marriage, it's like, well, how can we? The same can be used for all sorts of things. Where you just think, well, it's either all or nothing. It's either this or it's that. And the world doesn't like that. And in actual fact, most of us probably don't like that either. So it's like when everything, and I know there's a complexity of every situation, but there's some things that it's either black or white. It's either for Jesus or not. It's either follow him or not. And what he speaks about here when he's speaking about Caleb is someone who followed him wholeheartedly. Total abandonment, total uh, abundance of everything, not holding back. When we look at what it means to be born again, it's not, uh, and God uses that term, that you are born again. That we are, uh, uh, it's complete. It's what is all, what it was, de- um, and the past is dead and you have been born again. It's a complete surrender. So, so why is it that we hold parts of our life in surrender and other parts that we don't? It's like, God, these areas, you can have those areas n- not so much. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, and the new has come. It's rebirth, a new creation. Anybody who knows me knows that I like to take old things, particularly furniture, and, and, and restore it. So you kind of take it, you transform it, you fix it, and everything, and it gets a new life. That's not a picture of salvation. And too often we view our lives from that view point of, well, God's taken, he's fixing, and he's restoring, and there are bits of the old that are evident, and, and some of that adds to the history of it, and, and we have this nice romantic picture of God's taken this, and he's fashioned and formed, and, and, and kind of remodeled, and refurbished, and reupholstered, and everything else, but in actual fact, he says that the old is dead, and it's re, you are reborn. And so our lives we need to look at in the context of that in our following after him. If we're singing, God, God and, and, and everything is yours. It's like, well, then let the old die and follow him wholeheartedly. Caleb followed wholeheartedly, total abandonment of himself to God. And what was the result? That he and his seed, so he and the generations to come, God would bring into the promised land. The land that he had already been into and tasted and now had come back and now was going to go and inherit. Caleb followed him. And that's God's challenge for us today. Are you going to follow God wholeheartedly or not? My challenge to each one of us is we can't do a half job. It's total or not. When we look at following God wholeheartedly, what's probably most clear out of the whole thing is that it actually comes down to a relationship with God. 
rather than religious work or, or, or religious practices. It's actually about a relationship and intimacy with God. You see, if we haven't got a revelation of who he is and therefore who we are in him and our, in a relationship with us, then we can easily slip into religious practices and works and all of those things. Mark chapter 12, verse 30 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Other words, love God with everything. Everything of who you are. Not rules and regulations and formula, but a real relationship with God that brings life, that brings fullness, healing and wholeness, but it comes from a commitment to him. And when we don't have that revelation of the fact that we are his, we are chosen, we are paid for by the blood of Jesus, that we have access to him as our father, we have been made new in him, and that he, he longs to spend time with us and we to come into his presence with, with boldness and confidence because of Jesus, not because of us. But when we don't have that revelation, uh, th- then we can tend to just well, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and it ticks a, a religious box rather than this indwelling, relational, abiding with God that brings life and fullness of life. The Psalms reflect so much of the raw reality of David's relationship with God. Just read through things like Psalm 42, Psalm 63, Psalm 84, and you'll see how there's this incredible raw reality, but also this intense heart connection with God. And he uses words like, I long for, I, I, I search, I search after, like a deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you, I, I long to be in your presence, how I long to be in your, how, uh, is that a reflection of our lives? And you see, God himself calls David a man after his own heart. And we know that David did a whole lot of stuff that was not godly and sinned and everything, but he always came back to a place of repentance, confession, repentance, and restoration with God. Why? Because his heart was turned to him. He followed him wholeheartedly. His, his desire was to do what God has called him to do. And so when we look at those things, what is it that stops us from living like that? What stops us? And, and, and if we look at the context of Numbers, uh, 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 where, where um, we read about following him wholeheartedly, and you look at the context of that account where the 12 spies went into the promised land and they all came back and, and 10 were like, oh, we can't go there, we can't do this. They, it's, it's a great place, but these people are going to destroy us. And you look at the two I think the first thing we can draw from that is what stops us following God wholeheartedly is often fear that leads to a lack of trusting God and self-preservation, which totally works against everything how God has created us to be. We called and created to live in trust relationship with God. We haven't been given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of sonship. When we look at the nation of Israel, unfortunately, 
they were willing to settle for a half measure of what God had for them. God had brought them out of Egypt, and they were in this desert, not wandering around for 40 years yet, but they, and he took them, showed that they, they were to go into the promised land. And they knew that was where God's destiny for them was. But just because this wasn't like Egypt, and that looked like hard work, they were happy to settle for this second-rate, mediocre, better than past, but not actually what the fullness of God has for them, because they were fearful. They took their eyes off the promises of a faithful God, and then they were more concerned about preserving their own lives than walking into the generational inheritance that God had given them and promised them that went beyond them. They settled for compromise. Half measure rather than the full measure of what God has. And too often if we try and preserve our own lives because of fear or, or insecurity and lack of trust in God, how often do we find that we settle for a compromise or a half measure of what the fullness of God has for us. Folks, that's not where we're called to live. God is faithful. God has provided. God protects. God moves. Goodness me, he sent his son to die so that we could live restored relationship with him. The, uh, this morning during the prayer time next door, Werner read a scripture. I can't remember what the scripture was, but uh, the translation he read was different. Often we read and his, uh, Jesus was slain for us. I can't remember what the scripture verse was. Uh, Revelation 5, that Jesus was slain. The translation he read, when he read it, I thought, oh, that's quite... It was that he was slaughtered for us. Which sounds a bit harsh, but if you just think graphically what happened to Jesus, it was far more slaughtered. That's how much God wants us to live in the fullness of a relationship with Him, in total abandonment. That's why I think we, I mean, Jesus was slaughtered so that we could be born again. So that we, it, it wasn't a half in, half out. Possibly, maybe. It's a complete. So how do we respond? If that was, was what God did, why do we respond with fear and self-preservation? If we just think of it, even logically, without faith, it's just a, a bit baffling. Why do we settle for a half measure of what God has rather than the fullness of what he has for us. And then that's also outworked in our relationship with others. You see, although where they were was better than Egypt, it was nowhere near what God had for them. Part of that is that we, self-preservation is that we hold on to our lives when in fact we need to lose our lives. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 to 25 speaks about that that we to die to ourselves. The life we live is no longer ours, but it is His. And as long as we hold on to our lives, 
we will lose them. The more we lose our lives for his sake and for the sake of others, the more we find them. And that's dying to ourself, dying to our comforts, dying to our insecurities, dying to our desires and all those things. And we give them to him so that we're no longer serving ourselves, but we're serving him. When we lay down our lives and give them to him, that's an issue of faith and trust. What we're saying is, God, I trust you. I might not fully understand why and how and when things happen, but God, I trust you. God, I trust you because you are faithful. And when we don't, when we hold on to our lives and try and preserve our lives, then the things like the worries of the world and the concerns of man start to crowd in and start to hem us in and and weigh us down. But when we let go and let God do it, then there's the freedom and the joy. See, even though the land was good that they saw, Caleb was the one who saw, Caleb and Joshua saw that, God, they're big, but you're bigger. I don't understand how you're going to do this, but I know, God, you've brought us out. You're going to bring us in. And all the rest were like, they're big. I, I don't know if I can do this. Rather than saying, God, it's up to you. So we set our hearts fully on him. So the first was that fear that leads to lack of trust and self-preservation robs us of following him wholeheartedly. The second is, with that is how, how we um, try, and, try and save our lives and hold on to our lives. I think the third is divided loyalties. Wholeheartedly speaks of an undivided heart. Someone once put it this way, that to follow him wholeheartedly make, it means that there are no holes in your heart in following him, that your whole heart is completely given to him. But actually, divided loyalties don't. And in Exodus chapter, Exodus chapter 34, verse 14, speaks about not worshiping other gods. For the Lord our God is a jealous God. And the things that are distractions can be things like materialism, money, sin, fame, ministry. Anything that pulls our heart away from God creates a divided heart rather than a whole heart. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 21 speaks about where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where's our treasure? Where's your heart? Can be sin, can be temptation, but actually what God says is deal with that. Come to me, deal with it, and we'll move on. Why? Because he's a gracious God. The words have come through recently about God bringing things to the surface so that actually they can be dealt with and we can move into what God has for us. So I don't know where you're at this morning, but if there's anything that God's highlighting and say that you need to deal with, my, my encouragement, my, I don't know what I'd say, urgency of deal with it. Deal with it. Deal with it today. Deal with it so that you can move into the fullness of what God has to him. Because when we follow him wholeheartedly, our attention, our focus, and our desires will be to please him and him alone. And we have a choice to do that, to do his will. When our hearts are truly after him, then the pitiful excuses that we give, really to disguise our lack of self-control or our just, I don't know, un self-discipline and all those things won't, be any, won't stand the test anymore. 
See, often we are far more gracious to ourselves than we are to others. And when we look at ourselves, if someone else comes and says, actually, that's actually just an issue of self-discipline and a choice, we can get offended because, well, what about this and what about that? And we make up all these excuses as to why that's acceptable in our situation. Because really, we, we think, well, actually, I really want to do this for God, but there's all these things. And that makes it really hard. Actually, it's not. Because the lives we live are no longer ours, but they are His. I saw this recently. A friend in the States put it up that the world has changed because, remember, everything in our relationship with God and following after Him wholeheartedly is so that through us the kingdom can be advanced, that the lost would be saved, that the world would be transformed. They put this up. They said, the world has changed by the example you set, not the opinions you post. We are often very quick with our words or our opinions, especially on social media. But actually, that's not what changes. That's not the reality. You see, the reality is when we live a life that is reflected through the fruit of our life, that is evident, that's what changes people. Not what we say. And that comes back to, from, by their fruit you will know them. And the fruit comes from what's inside. If the roots are in, in God, totally in Him, then the fruit will be good. But if it's not, then it won't. So where to from here? I think it starts simply with a choice. You might think that's a very simplistic way of looking at it. I think actually a lot of the, our responses to God are very simple if we remove all the nonsense that we put in the way. Because really it does come down to a choice. A choice that is motivated by a revelation of who God is, His love for us, His call on our lives, and who we are as a new creation, we then have a choice. Because we no longer held captive by sin. We are led by the Spirit and empowered by Him. And so we actually have a choice. And the choice is either to die to self, to die to self selfishness, self-centeredness, self-preservation, to die to sin, to die to self-ambition, and to live for Him. It starts with a choice. A genuine heart response choice based on a revelation of who God is and who we are in Him. 2 Corinthians 5.15 And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Corinthians chapter 10, verse 24 Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. Timothy was a really good example. Paul says of Timothy, says this, I have no one else like him who takes genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. And so we have a choice. Do I follow God wholeheartedly? Do I not? And if we choose, well, I'm going to follow God wholeheartedly, 
How do we do that? Just live as he's called us to live. Set the focus on him, our daily devotions. Jesus, you're there, a time with him. But then there are also some more simple things. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 to 11 tells us. How do we follow him wholeheartedly? Hate evil, cling to good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another. Don't be lacking in zeal. 1 Corinthians 13, 5. Don't be rude. Don't be self-seeking. Don't be easily angered. Don't keep a record of wrongs. That's following God wholeheartedly, and those are all a choice. Because no one has held us captive. And when the enemy tries to, we have to remind him of who we are because we are born again in Jesus. No longer controlled by him, but free because of Jesus. So we have the ability to choose. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15 says that Jesus' love compels us to no longer live for ourselves, but to live for him. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but with humility. You see, when we read scripture, we can read all those things and we can make excuses as to why we compromise on those. And then we wonder why we've become lukewarm and ineffective. But when we look at it and think, Jesus, you've made me new again. Jesus, you were slaughtered so that I could be free to choose to live for you. Now I'm following you wholeheartedly. Then we see the life of God start welling up within us. So we choose those things, but we also choose to pursue God. Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 13 says, God says this, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. In other words, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me wholeheartedly. With total abandonment. John 15 speaks about the vine and the branches that, that we grafted in and, the, and as a branch in, and he is the vine and we are the branches and we bear fruit. Not because of anything else, but because he is the vine and we are connected and in him. James chapter 4, verse 7 and 8 says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Where our roots are, where our <clears throat> the devotion of our heart is, that's where we'll be fed. That's, where, that's what will transform us. When we follow God wholeheartedly, we need to ensure that our roots are in him. We pursue him. That makes sense? You see... Jesus spoke of the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 15 like this. says, they draw near to me with their mouths. They honor me with their lips. But their hearts are far from me. And in vain they worship me. That's not how we call to be. Let's not be those who worship God with our lips and our mouths and but our hearts are far from him. Hebrews chapter 4 shows us that in verse 13 and 16, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need.
When you're at a point today or tomorrow where, you, where you're faced with a choice and you think, I don't know if I can do this, approach the throne of grace with confidence where you can find mercy and help in that moment of need. That moment of needing to choose right or wrong. Follow God or hold back and try and preserve. Go to the throne of grace. And you can do that with confidence, not because of who you are, but because Jesus was slaughtered so that you could do that. That's what he calls us to. God wants to spend time with us. God wants us to be with him, the longing after, the, the refuge, the strength, the shelter, the, the, all those analogies we see through the Psalms and through Scripture that we meditate on his word and we drawn to him by his spirit. This morning, hear what God is saying. Caleb was one who had a different spirit and followed God wholeheartedly. So God would bring him and his, the, the, his seed, the generations to come, into the land that he had promised. The same is true for you and I. God's desire is that we live in the fullness of what that means. Not just saved, but walking into the promises which require us to follow him wholeheartedly. With a different spirit from the world around us. From, from, with a different, maybe it's even different from how you were yesterday. With the sense of, God, let me have a revelation of who you are and who I am made new in you. So that I can walk in the fullness of what you have. So that I don't settle for just coming out of but I live in the fullness of what you're called into. You see, salvation is paid for by Jesus in full. We do nothing except believe in him and receive the gift of our salvation. Just as the nation of Israel, they just walked out of Egypt. They walked. They, they were... They were they, they had favor with all the Egyptians. They, took, they went and asked them. They, I mean, how's that? They went and, so you've been a slave. You live with Egyptians. God's done all these crazy things to you and your nation, the Egyptians. And now you're going. So God says, go and ask all the Egyptians for their gold and their silver and their jewelry. And the Egyptians gave it to them. I mean, they didn't have to do anything. They walked out of Egypt. They came to the Red Sea. God parted the Red Sea. They walked through. God destroyed the, the Egyptians. They didn't have to fight the Egyptians. That's the same as us. We don't fight the devil for our salvation. Jesus has done it all for us. Yet, the nation of Israel... Then when it came to walking in the promises, which required trusting God as well as fighting the enemy. Now, to take their inheritance, they had to cooperate with God and it required something from them. It required a little bit of hard work and battle. But God, who had done everything, was going to go before them. And make it possible. 
how often do we live in the fullness or the freedom of the understanding that our salvation is paid for? But now to live in the promises of God today and tomorrow that require a little bit of work from our side, because our salvation is paid for, but our inheritance might take a little bit of work and might take a little bit of fighting and battling in the Spirit. And we just step back and think, oh, too much. You see, our salvation is secured. Jesus did that. But to walk into your inheritance, you need to cooperate with God, step out in faith, fight the battles he calls us to fight. Jesus says it's not going to be easy. There are going to be people who come against you. There are going to be people who lie about you. It's like all these different things that happen, persecuted. Just read Paul, shipwrecked, starving, beaten, everything else that he did, what he didn't do, he faced. But it didn't stop him. I was reading yesterday where, where he went to, um, before he goes back to Jerusalem, I think it's, uh, I can't remember where he was in Ephesus, I think, where maybe it wasn't, but they, they came and said, don't go to Jerusalem. And Agabus comes and he, he, he binds him with his own belt and says, this is how they're going to tie you up and take you in prisoner in Jerusalem. And, and they plead with him, don't go. And he said, I'm ready to be imprisoned. I'm even ready to die for the sake of what God's called me to. It takes a little bit of hard work. But we know this, that he who is with us is greater than he who is against us. And he who calls us into the promises is faithful and true and has given us the weapons we need. And he is victorious and he has won the victory. But it means that today I choose Jesus. Tomorrow I choose Jesus. The choices we make, God wholeheartedly or not. Why? Because no matter what it costs, he's already paid it. And if it's going to be difficult, he will help us. And if someone comes against us, he is for us. And if we feel insecure, he is our security. You see, as God has been speaking to us and saying for us to, of the things that he's calling us to, folks, everything that God has for us is so that through us, others would come to know him because the world out there is dying. They are still held captive. They are still dead. And we have the answer because we have a relationship with God and we've come to salvation. And they see Jesus in us depending on the fruit that we produce. Let us not be those who try and sit on the fence and one day this and one day that, but God, everything. If there are issues that we need to deal with, deal with them. If to, this morning, if you need someone to pray with you, find someone here to pray with you. If there are just some choices that you have to make, do that. Why? Because God is for you. Jesus was slaughtered so that you could live free. And the lives we live are not ours, but they're his. Caleb had a different spirit and followed God wholeheartedly. Therefore, I will bring him into the land I had promised. You can put your name in there. Follow him with a different spirit and wholeheartedly and let him bring you into what he has. 
What's God saying to you this morning? I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask you just to respond in your, in your heart. Not to me, you're responding to God. And whatever that looks like, whatever place, say, Holy Spirit, come. I surrender again. That we walk in the fullness of what God has. And whatever battles you might know are lying ahead, don't step away. If God's called you to do those things, you step into them. Because he is with you. Father God, I thank you. Thank you for who you are, for all that you've done, for all that you are doing. Thank you, God, that you sent your son, Jesus. We thank you that you you chose to come. You laid aside everything that you would live and die, be slaughtered for us so that we could come into relationship with you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. God, I pray for each one of us that we would have a fresh, deeper revelation of who you are and who we are in you. And Father, from that we would choose to live wholeheartedly for you. God, I pray that if there are areas in people's lives that have come to the fore this morning during worship, during the preach, during whatever it is, that need to be dealt with. Lord, by your Spirit, I ask that you would deal with them today. God, we sit, stand, we, we, we before you with our hearts and lives open, saying, come, Lord Jesus, come. Holy Spirit, come and do what you need to do. We surrender our all, every area, every part, for the sake of your kingdom, for your glory, for your honor, for the sake of the world that is lost, that we would see people saved. Oh God, that we would follow you wholeheartedly. In Jesus' name. Amen.